Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Everybody, welcome to the Inferno. This is a new Suns podcast focused on everything about the team and the history, what's current, uh, what you like about the team, what you don't, what needs to change, what would be the part of the history that you could add to it. And this is Dana Scott, beat writer for azcentral.com, also Arizona Republic newspaper here in the Valley, covering the entire state, all sports covering uh, from all the professional teams and uh, high schools and college as well, primarily ASU and Arizona. And my colleague, Mr. Orange, tell him about yourself, sir. Yes, uh, Mr. Orange here, season 12 as a uh, diehard Phoenix Suns fan, uh, season 20 as a season ticket holder, and very excited to get our podcast going and uh, get each of you involved uh, with what we have in store for you. Yeah, let me give you some more shine, uh, Patrick. You are featured in the Christmas promo for NBA's 75th season that was aired during Christmas time uh, last December. And that is definitely on the internet somewhere, right? I mean, YouTube, you'll probably find that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. NBA YouTube um, on a, a ton of the social channels. And, yeah, it was an amazing opportunity to be able to represent the Valley, uh, the entire NBA community as as the super fan and uh, something that was an amazing experience with all those legends. And we'll get into that in one of our episodes for sure. Yeah. So the topics we're going to discuss tonight is since it's the All-Star break, and this is Michael Jordan's birthday, February 17th. We'll discuss, can Devin Booker win All-Star Game MVP? Uh, then we'll discuss the Suns' best coaches ever ranked. Michael Jordan memories versus the Suns, since it's his birthday. And would Suns' season be considered a failure if they reach 70 wins and no title? They're at 48-10 and 10 at the All-Star break. They just ended their seven-game win streak, uh, actually beating the Houston Rockets at home. It was a grind, a uh, really fun game to watch, a long game, according to Devin Booker in the postgame last night, and uh, definitely a thriller after to end their back-to-back, -back, uh, both wins, and they had a back-to-back -back against the Clippers as well on Tuesday that they won. So let's discuss the All-Star game. The thing about the All-Star game is can Devin Booker win MVP? He's on Team Durant. Chris Paul is on uh, Team LeBron. Monty Williams is coaching Team LeBron. And I would reckon that just we, we asked Monty last night if uh, somebody asked if, if, if Monty's going to trap Devin, you know, and such. So <laughs> he said he'll have to wait and see. Uh, but he doesn't, I don't think he'll do it. But with Booker being as Great of a score that he is. He's number 11, ranking the NBA at 25 and a half a game. And the, with all-star games, players getting in is allotment of time and how they could win the MVP. Devin is not a starter, but he'll come off the bench. He'll be a spark. All-star game MVPs can come off the bench and actually be that guy. And the thing about the starting five, Team Durant, Kevin Durant is not playing. Um, he's got his knee issue that he sprained earlier in uh, January against the Pelicans at home. So the starting five for now will be uh, Joel Embiid, John Morant, Jason Tatum, uh, and Andrew Wiggins. So that's one, two, three, four, and Trey Young. 
as well as their starting point guard. Now, Devin is – he's number uh, – he's the fourth highest, or I believe. So I'm looking at the numbers. One, two, three, four. So he's number five as the, uh, the on the list of the team. Durant as a score. He's behind Joel Embiid, who's at 29 a game. John Morant, 26. Jason Tatum at uh, 25.9. And Trey Young at 27.9. And the, if Devin coming off the bench, that means that he'll get some time freed up uh, with Kevin out. And so where do you see is Devin if, and what do you think would be the over under on his scoring in the All-Star game? Yeah, Dan, I mean, you made great points. I think the, the biggest factor in all this is, is what you said about minutes and rotations and not being a starter definitely impacts, in my opinion, who is even considered for that MVP vote. Um, so for me, over under, I would say that number is going to be in the 20 range. And for me, it's likely going to be over. Um, but all that is going to depend on those rotations. Does Devin get hot when he comes in? And then obviously the coaching that that comes with that. So how, how are they working him in in his rotations? And uh, you know how a fan vote factors into this right in the MVP and and they have their their factors of what determines it but uh, I think it's it's really going to depend on those rotations and how many minutes Booker gets and and the most he makes of those minutes when he is in right and let's look at the fact that all-star games are not having any defense it's it's a show for the fans it's something that gets the fans happy from the dunks the alley-oops uh the three-pointers from like the logo or you know where they check in at the scorer's bench, you know, shooting from there, whatever it gets the fans to go wooing on. So if Devin can actually, you know, be the guy that can catch those lobs and can actually kick, stick those threes and such, he'll probably get at least a good 15 minutes off the bench. What can he do within 15 minutes? He, he probably can, if he gets hot, like you said, he'll probably be able to at least get to 16. And to be an all-star MVP, you have to be one of the top scorers. You have to basically be the top scorer on your team in order to get it, if you're off the bench or if you're a starter, because that's generally how it's ranked. And I think Devin has potential to get that. But if LaMelo Ball is in the way throwing lobs and if he gets something crazy like 15 assists or Zach Levine comes off the bench and throws off dunks in that first unit, uh, at subs for the starting five, then, you know, he probably has some contenders. Now, Draymond Green is not going to play either, so that will help with Devin's minutes. And so they have one, two, they have Carl Anthony Towns, DeJounte Murray from the Spurs, Chris Middleton, Zach, Rudy Gobert is reserved. So Rudy Gobert is not going to be shooting. He's just going to basically be catching lobs. And Zach Levine's going to catch lobs and shoot a lot of threes. Middleton, two, Murray, and Carl Anthony Towns. So I think Devin has a strong chance of getting it. But if he doesn't, it's because he hasn't scored the most and he has to share the ball, probably with Zach Levine, who's one of the better offensive threats, uh, who can put on a show for the fans. And, I, and the Bulls, usually the, the MVP goes to the guys from the teams that are doing the best in their conference. And similar to like Scottie Pippen in 94, when the Bulls were one of the top teams in the East and Pippen had his MVP season. So 
Booker might have an axe to grind that he had to work his way onto being recognized in the all-star team as a reserve when people felt he should have been a starter. So that might help him too in, in, in terms of guys and girls who want to really push him to that fan vote to get that win. But because the all-star game MVP is really a fan vote thing, not as it used to be with just getting them on the team for many years, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's going to be a big factor. And we see that right with the votes, how the Valley and, and many people were upset about Devin Booker not being a starter and, and that popularity contest factors in. And that's just the reality of the current makeup of, of how the vote takes place, both to be an all-star and then the all-star MVP. So of course that's going to factor into it as well, but does he have the potential? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of factors that are going to come into play that we'll see if that's the reality. I think the biggest factors also for the young, the youth is, uh, coming in like a Ja Morant and Embiid's having a great uh, MVP season and Curry is still having an MVP season uh, even though he's uh, a little older it usually goes to the people that um, either the veterans that have shot the best and or the up-and-comers like DeMar DeRozan who are pretty strong contenders for MVP of the league now, Jokic is probably not going to get it because Jokic is a starter and he's not going to – he's all NBA, but he's not a flashy guy. It goes to those flashy guys like Luka, Harden's not playing, obviously, and Chris is – you know, Paul's going to play. But it usually goes to the guys with the most flash. And Devin, he kind of – flash is not really his game, but he can do it. Uh, he just doesn't do it enough. Uh, DeRozan's the mid-ranger. Uh, Luke is a flash guy with the triple double every night. So I think those guys really are a strong contender to getting the MVP over Devin. But the fact is, is that Devin is capable of getting it, not saying it's guaranteed, but he's very capable. Uh, now the thing about the, our next topic is the sun's best coaches ever. Why I wanted to rank them is because the sun's are at a, their third win streak this season, eight, uh, they're at seven games straight, and then last week they ended their 11-game streak, and then in December they ended their 18-game streak. Monty Williams is already steadily, quickly rising in that conversation as one of the better uh, Suns coaches to ever be in this franchise. So I think the best Suns coaches are in history, obviously, are Cod Fitzsimmons, yep. uh, Paul Westfall, yep. Mike D'Antoni for the seven seconds or less, and then after the flurry of coaches that came the 10 years after D'Antoni left in 2010, um, or uh, it was basically, uh, it's, it's mine. Now, you've been here longer than I have. So what do you see as the best Suns coaches ranked? And I'll go with mine after you. Yeah, you know, I, I think you you hit it on the head, and anyone that's been a Suns fan and followed for that long would have to agree. For me, um, you know, Cotton, Fitzsimmons, uh, who he is as a man. I think Monty, when, when I get into talking about Monty, has potential to get there. Obviously, his legacy with the organization still being formed. And, um, you know, it, it started well. And it, it isn't what he's doing and just the results. It's how he's getting there with the makeup he had. And then, obviously, the, the personnel. But for me, I would go, yeah, Westfall, uh, Cotton, Fitzsimmons. 
I would go Monty right now over Dan Tony, and, and then I would go with Dan Tony if I'm if I'm rounding out with four. And I think because of of what Monty's done and the way he's done it, uh, yes, Dan Tony brought an exciting brand of basketball. Definitely uh, something that we all remember and, and enjoyed. I think it's just something about Monty and and his care for people and and what he brings to the team uh, that goes just beyond the court has resulted in us seeing a team with a different type of talent be able to get results in ways that many would not have expected. And so uh, for me, that that gives him an edge over, you know, someone like Mike D'Antoni. Yeah, right. Now, what's the thing is with Mike D'Antoni, he, he's very influential with the small ball a uh, scheme in the NBA we have today. The Warriors took it and ran with it, but it really started with D'Antoni, uh, in my opinion. And that's why you saw that in Houston where they jacked up like 73 the game, <laughs> something stupid like that. I don't know the exact number. Yeah, but, yeah. But he's taken that offense and ran with it, and you kind of see a shell of that with the Nets um, until they started losing 12 straight. But – you know, last year, it's this year, they, they got rid of – I mean, they didn't have any bigs, and they've kind of filled that role with Andre Drummond in the recent trade last week at the deadline. But the thing about the D'Antoni offense is very influential on what the Suns do now. So in 2019, when I – this is a quick digression. 2019, when James Jones, the Suns GM, drafted all these pieces and nobody understood it, and the Suns got killed in the gradings from all the blogs and all the – uh, writers and NBA pundits, on uh, you know, in the media, people didn't get it. But I saw a shell of what the Suns were trying to do to model the Warriors, which is a small ball scheme. And now we see that and going small. Obviously, they have eight in in the middle and they up their bigs with Biombo in the middle and also with McGee uh, as the backup to Aiton. But yeah. the small ball scheme is really pivotal. Um, it's a really integral uh, from D'Antoni in the late 2000s. And I think that the Suns are doing that um, because of D'Antoni. And I put him as number two because Paul Westfall is my number one. Even though Cotton won a lot of games and led them to being one of the winningest franchises in NBA history, I, I know that Paul Westfall, even though he was here in Phoenix for, what, four seasons? Uh, before he stepped down in 96 and Cotton yep. came back. Yep. Uh, the thing about first fall is that he got them to the finals and they were one of the top teams in the league every year. They just couldn't get over the hump, right? They couldn't – In the after 93, uh, they lost in 94 to – what was it? The I believe it was the uh, – was it the Rockets? I believe it was the, no, the, I think it was the Rockets. When Mario, when did Mario Ellie hit that, that three pointer in the corner? Yeah, um, I think that was it. 90. Okay. So 94. And then the Rockets went on and that was the whole, the clutch city Rockets. Right. And then they couldn't get uh, past. They went to the playoffs again in 90 and 95 and lost in 96. They just kind of just fell off. Right. And that's the year when they had uh, really Mike Finley and um, they were, they just kind of weren't, the same. And, and then that's when the, the fall with Barkley happened and then they traded him and he claimed years later to on TNT or actually uh, I believe it was NBA TV when he that interview with Ernie Johnson his 50th birthday saying that the Suns screwed him um, and, and trading him to Houston. So 
I think the great thing about uh, Westfall is that he got them to a place where they'd never been. They'd gotten so far with Cotton and ended Showtime Lakers in 1990, but they never got over that hump. They never got that far uh, in, in, until Westfall came along and made them instantaneously the best team in the NBA. And obviously they had Barkley, they had Marley, they had um, Tom Chambers. It was the, one of their... Uh, guys who had been there for a couple of years and who was their centerpiece, the literal centerpiece of the franchise for, you know, three or four seasons beforehand. Um, and he became basically a role player off the bench. And then they had guys like Kevin Johnson, KJ, and was was pretty much their best player next to, and then Hornacek left. So he was, he got shipped off to Philadelphia. And so they had those great pieces uh, in to make, the, they took the Bulls to six games, okay? You know, if you want to you – know, we're, we're going to segue into Michael Jordan's greatest moments. Michael Jordan is the reason why the Suns did not win a championship in 1993, right? Um, Absolutely. Uh, so the thing about Westfall in those three years, and if you get to them the, – you got them to 60 wins in his first three years or at least 50 in his third year and until he, they just struggled in his last year and Westfall stepped down until Cotton came back. Uh, I believe it was mid-season he came back. It, it basically, Westfall put them on top of the West in a very loaded West at the time. Um, I, and they had, you know, great teams like the Sonics. Um, I know the Nuggets were up there doing well. And I know the Jazz were still strong with Scott and Malone and the Blazers. Um, and, and the Rockets, too. I mean, so back then, if you had the Suns as one of the most best teams against that and a uh, team against all those teams, including the, uh, you know, the, a, a Warriors team that was young and up and coming, they that probably puts them in the same class as uh, of where D'Antoni is. But I believe that D'Antoni is number two in terms of influence, not in terms of where they reach because – D'Antoni didn't get them to the finals, like, uh, and close to winning a championship, uh, like Westfall did. Monty's probably number three. Um, actually, not well. Monty's number four because they're projected to get to seventy wins if they can, uh, with if they or sixty-two at least with their franchise record if they go fifteen and nine the rest of the way, and they could probably do that better. But we'll get to later that till. Uh, to that later in the show. So with, speaking about Jordan before, what are your memories of Jordan? And did you have any of his sneakers growing up? And what kind, <laughs> and how, what pairs particularly did you have? Uh, the 11s. And, you know, memory-wise, uh, it's not good, right, as, a, as most Suns fans would say. Um, respect for the game, you know, and, and it's similar to not comparing them together, but obviously Kobe and the impact Kobe had in key games and key series against us. Uh, very similar, obviously, um, to 93 and uh, the games that we had here uh, in Phoenix and and obviously there. So uh, just the, the appreciation and respect that his name brings. And I would say that's kind of the biggest memory I have in terms of like who he is. Uh, 
you, you don't talk about basketball without bringing up Michael Jordan. And, and that's something that will live on long past his time with us. And, and that's special. You know, when you talk about a, a sport like basketball in the NBA uh, this year, especially celebrating, you know, 75 years, that that's something that is truly remarkable when you have an individual that has such an impact on a game that you are constantly talking about that person and the impact that they had. And so, you know, for me, it's just the respect of the game that uh, his name brings and, and all that he's done for NBA around the world and here in the U.S. What about 93, uh, when Jordan played against the Suns? I know you weren't here then, but I have that series on VHS. Of oh, no, I was here. I was here. Oh, you were here? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So did, did you go to any of those games? I did. Uh, before, not in the playoffs. I, no, I wasn't okay. at a playoff game, no. Uh, I was watching, you know, on TV. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's just – and I was young at the time, you know, so eight years old and uh, just seeing some someone dominate the game like that was it was just breathtaking, honestly. And obviously you look up to that. But when it's against your own team, you know, it hurt, <laughs> especially right. as a young kid uh, right. to, to see that. It's like, oh, that's the enemy, man. Like, uh, but, you know, looking back on it and, and appreciating the game and, and what he did for it, you know, it, it was truly, truly special. Well, here's a quick caveat. I think the reason why Jordan beat the Suns is, and he said it, is because in that last dance documentary, Barkley got the 93 MVP award. and He was pissed about that. Yeah. Right. Yep. So that pushed him to really take it to the Suns. And they were supposed to close it out in game five, but they did. The Suns, they had that triple overtime thriller. And it was amazing. I'd never seen an NBA Finals game like that. That was probably the best NBA Finals game next to – or was it double, was it double overtime in that game five, 93? Double. I, yeah, double. It was it was double. I think Bar Jordan went for 54 and Barkley had like 40 or something like that, right? Yeah. So that was pretty th – those games and Barkley winning MVP is the reason why Suns don't have a championship inherently <laughs> – you know, and, and what's the common theme? Is somebody getting fueled, right? So right. as I said about Kobe and, and the playoff series that we had and, and somebody pissed, whether it's Roger Bell clotheslining him or uh, just the hate he had for uh, that he openly spoke about, just Phoenix in general, you know, um, that, that seems to be a theme that uh, outside of this past, you know, finals that we didn't win, uh, you know, Giannis didn't have uh, any type of passion to beat the Suns, but yes uh jordan definitely had ammo uh, that that turned it up where had he not you know had barkley received that award i think that would have um made a, a big difference honestly so let's juxtapose it if jordan had gotten the mvp in 93 would the Suns end up winning and beating that bulls team i think absolutely yes okay uh, I, you think jordan would have been content and not wanted to stick it that hard to because also another thing that fueled him and he said in that last day's documentary is that Jerry Krause was such a fan of Diane Marley and he felt that Dan Marley was just like this golden child of defense and Jordan was pissed about that too so he had two motivational factors not only that Barkley won the MVP but Dan Marley he just wanted to eat him alive and he did yeah, no, I, I think I think it would have changed the dynamic, not that it would have changed his uh, approach or, you know, him caring less. I just think the the fuel not getting a league MVP uh, is pretty significant. Right. And when you feel I need to go make a statement and how better to do it 
by taking the championship, I think, you know, that that motivation for any human would be um, pretty heavy as opposed to, you know, yeah, golden child, I need to prove them wrong. You can dominate an individual, uh, but to go out there and, and carry your team to ensure you do what you need to do to show everyone that they made the wrong choice in his eyes. Uh, I think that that's the exclamation mark that, you know, he proved with what he did. Yeah. You know, the very fascinating thing about that story line is that Jerry Krause, the GM of the Bulls at the time, rest in peace. He ended up really fueling Jordan and Jordan hated him, didn't like the way he did business and negotiating the contracts. But it was almost like in that documentary series that Jordan pined for his approval, especially when it comes to Dan Marley. Like, you're Michael Jordan. You really care that much about Dan Marley being recognized by your GM as a great defender? It's like, no, I'm the better defender. So it's like, you know, mom liking you better type of thing, right? Like, I don't understand why he, Jordan needed Dan Marley as his crutch to really get him a third straight chip, as, as, as well as a 93 MVP. I can understand that. But Dan Marley, of all people, being said as a great defender uh like and treating him almost like a tony kukoc if you saw the 92 olympics right yep yeah <laughs> yeah that dream team and just just making sure tony does not get the ball after jerry Krause raving about this young up-and-coming euro guy named tony kukoc yeah let's move on to our last topic now the sun's like we said before, projected to win at least 60 games. They can get to 62 games, their franchise record, if they go 15 and 9 the rest of the way. They're at 48 and 10. And then they could win 70 if they go on another hot streak like they have in the first half of the season. But if they get to 70 wins and get no title, is it a failure? Failure is subjective, right? I think. They would say yes, which would mean I would say yes. Um, anything less than a ring this season is not going to be acceptable if you are in that locker room or part of that organization. Now, as a fan, you know, we want the championship, right? Um, being the number one seed, what does that mean, right? It, it doesn't guarantee anything. Look at last season. And so I know in their hearts, failure is a strong word. I think the goal wouldn't have been accomplished. And so in that regard, yes, I think the season would be considered a failure, regardless of the number of wins. I have zero doubt we're not going to break our franchise record for the number of wins. I don't see us, you know, losing more than nine games to end this stretch before the playoffs. Uh, but none of that matters, right? I coach basketball too. We don't care what our regular season record is. It helps with our seating. But at the end of the day, if we didn't achieve our goal, it, it, Again, the word failure is strong, uh, but we didn't accomplish our goal. And I think that is is how the entire locker room uh, and front office would feel if we do anything less than uh, getting that championship. And this is why we improved. We made key, you know, the front office, James Jones, has done an amazing job of adding key pieces that many of us feel were needed in order to make us that much better in order to, to contend for another title. And when those pieces are put in place and you have a strong culture and everything else intact, what is the expectation? The expectation should be to go back there and be better. And, and the fuel those individuals have by reaching that peak 
going up 2-0 and losing, you can't teach that. You can't preach that. That is an internal feeling. And then you add all the noise of the Suns only got to the finals because of the injuries from X, X, and X, and X, um, as if we were just, you know, walked into the finals. All of that fuels these individuals. And so with that, um, yeah, anything less than a championship this season uh, is not going to be something that anybody is excited about or appreciates. Yeah. Thing about last year is that it was more of a statement. The Suns did not uh, have any projections to the getting in the finals, let alone the past the first round of the playoffs. Not a lot of people had them getting to the playoffs. They had them projected to win 35 games, right? Now, in the West, you can't get to the playoffs on 35 games. In the East, maybe last year, probably because there was a lot of fringe teams that squeaked in their way in at the bottom to the eighth spot and that eight through 10 play in whatever, right? So uh, it, even without the play in, a lot of East teams kind of got in with losing records, right? Like, you know, yep. bar or barely 500, like Washington Wizards when they had Westbrook, right? Um, the thing about this year is that the Suns look at themselves as title contenders. A lot of people still look at themselves as title contenders. Now everyone's like, wow, these guys are for real. And if they get to 62 wins, that's expected at this rate that they'll keep winning. Now, when they get to 70 wins, it will be a failure because it's basically like the Warriors in 2016. 73 and 9, they beat the Mighty Bulls record of 72 and 10 from 1996. And then they lost in game seven because LeBron got in the way and metaphorically blocked them from getting that title in game seven on the Warriors' home floor. Now, the Suns, if they get to a game seven, and it might be whether it's a rematch against the Bucks, maybe it's the Sixers, uh, whoever, it could be the Bulls. That Can't forget the Heat because they're at the top of the East right now. So if it's against the Miami Heat and they get beaten the seventh game, then, yeah, it's a failure because the Suns basically put the pieces together. Not that they're going to break up the team as a failure, but the fact is, is that this is not a young team as it was for many years, just trying to figure out how to win and close out games. It's not a young team like they were in the bubble. They actually have the experience. And they have the veterans. So I agree with you on that. They, it's all relative, but it's also a failure because – they basically have gotten there before, and they if they get there before, they can do it again. There's very rarely does a team get to the finals and break up, right? They only build on pieces to get to the finals and stay at that status, just like the Warriors did for that stretch of five years from 2014 you know, to 2019 until Clay got hurt and had to sit out for two years. And then they went into the lottery the following year and basically got knocked out by the Lakers last year in the playing game. Right now they're back, you know, and so they're rebuilt and they're back. And the Lakers last year, they added names and they've added pieces to try to repeat what they did in 2020 in the bubble. Now, granted, it was the bubble. A lot of people don't think the bubble championship is a real championship because there was no fans, nobody had to travel anywhere. And it's basically an asterisk to a lot of people. But the Lakers had the fit pieces that fit. Then they got rid of them and tried to add on, you know, with more names. And, you know, now we see that. You know, they try to basically replicate uh, and do in, inflate their roster with a bunch of big names, and we see where they're at now. They're terrible. But the thing is, is that all championship teams, like the Bucks, they've done what they can to do their homework and make sure that we get that they get to where they were before, and we're probably going to see a rematch at this rate.
And I hope we do. (laughs) Right. Because of redemption that everybody wants, you know, here in the Valley, right? Yeah. Uh, To beat the Bucks. And it starts a great rivalry. It's two small markets. Yep. You know, head to head. Great storyline. Giannis, this big, huge guy who can jump through the gym and looks like he could be an Avenger if he wanted to and just dominate when he wants to, right? Um, And then you got this guy with Aiden and Booker and who, who basically has the makers of a superstar. He's dating, you know, a celeb and Kendall Jenner. And, you know, he's in a small market, which is the aftershock of LA. It, it all adds into a great storyline. So it's a failure only if the fans who know that there's all these sellouts, they had 11 straight sellouts or 12, I believe, and they just still can't win it and bring the chip home. Yeah, it's a failure for that fact that they know that they've, put in so much with this new arena and everything that's so glitzy and everything is just something that uh, this, the Warriors did before and the Bulls did and they just kept adding the pieces and that now they're at the top of the, the cream of the crop, right? Nobody's touching them right now, heading into the second half. And if they taper like a Warriors, I mean, like the Nets collapse and 12 games lost at, after being at the top, then yeah, that's a failure in itself. But if they get there and they figure it out and then they get as far as they do and then, you know, basically get to game seven and then they just fold, then it's basically a a Suns season that's not going to be forgettable, but it's going to be like, well, we should have did this differently. And, you know, when you think woulda, coulda, shoulda, in a sense, you basically failed your mission. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better. Yeah. Now, what we're going to talk more about in the next episode is going to be after the All-Star break is how they can continue to be on the hot streak going into the second half when a lot of teams get to rise because the first half is over. That doesn't matter. The second half is when everybody drives to the playoffs in the last full month of the regular season in March, then heading into April when everybody looks to make the surge. And now we have a play-in tournament. Who will get in their way? of getting back to the finals. We'll discuss that in our next episode. Absolutely. And we will recap how Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and Monty Williams uh, fared at the All-Star game, how that matchup went, uh, and much more. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.